This episode is sponsored by Dreams Los Angeles, a lifestyle shop inspired by surrealism located in Atwater Village, LA. Stop by 3229 Glendale Boulevard for everything you need for your body, mind, and space, including apparel, apothecary, sexual wellness, products, homewares, books, and kids. And be sure to follow them on Instagram at Dreams Los Angeles. And by Cuckoo French Classes, a bi-coastal school offering group and private French classes in person and online to adult students of all levels. Cuckoo LA is located in the heart of Silver Lake and focuses on modern French. Join their Francophile community for fun events and cultural workshops, such as regular wine tastings in partnership with Vinovore. Book your free trial class today on cuckoofrenchclasses.com, spelled C-O-U-C-O-U, or frenchclasses.com. France or Italy? Okay, France, I don't speak a word of French. Italy, I can say, like, good morning. <laughs> Welcome to Wine Splaining, the podcast that peels back the journeys of the women shaping the wine business. I'm Coley Denhan, and I'm excited to present today's guest, Joy Cole. Joy is the owner and winemaker of an extremely tasty and very sought-after brand, Lavalana Wines. Her story reads somewhat like a real-life fairy tale of an American in Italy who found not one but two true loves, winemaking and her growing family. Joy's been an inspiration for all of us to follow our dreams and let yourself be led down life's path. Of course, no one's path is totally smooth and without its many challenges, no matter how dreamy it may sound. So let's get Joy's side of things. Joy, welcome to Winesplaining. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. Yes. So before we find out more about you, I have one question that I kind of wanted to ask. I was wondering, do you have a favorite sheep? <laughs> like one of my 400 sheep? Is there one that I like the most? Yeah. <laughs> no, there is not one specifically. I mean, they, all the lambs are always in my heart, cause especially the ones that I have to bottle feed. Um, but it's actually funny because when I first met Simone, my husband, and he was showing me the sheep, he's like, can you see the different breeding lines of the different rams that we've used? I'm like, no, they absolutely look all exactly the same. And now I'm like, oh, look, those are, now I can tell the difference. So I feel like I've gotten better at that. But <laughs> Okay, awesome. They're all very sweet. Yeah. I love the labels. They're so adorable. And we're obviously going to talk about why, why they're on there. So let's start at the beginning. Um, where did you grow up? So uh, I grew up to, I guess it's immigrant parents. My parents are from Switzerland, and they moved to Connecticut uh, six months before I was born in 87. Um, so I grew up in a very lovely suburb of, in the tri-state area, 45 minutes outside of New York. Um, no, no wine, lots of blueberries. Well, maybe there's wine there now, actually. I'm sure. I feel like there's wine in every state. But... Um, yeah, nothing related to wine. A good, wholesome, very simple, easy life, I'd say, growing up. So no amazing blueberry wine even? <laughs> no, I've never had blueberry wine, to be honest. No, just blueberry farms, just picking blueberries and strawberries, lots of those too. Um, uh, yeah, but no, a very, not, I don't think, 
there was any foreshadowing really until uh, until I got to college that I would maybe end up down this road. When you were much younger, before you thought you'd go down this road, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, um, one was a marine biologist. <laughs> the other one, um, oh, I can't remember. I th- oh, a vet. Yeah, those are, I love the, love the sea and I love animals still to this day. You are not the first winemaker that I've interviewed that has said a marine biologist. So that's really Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think I don't know, that would have been a cool thing to go down. I mean... Especially today, but you know, totally different path. <laughs> so, what what was the moment in college that somehow led you to wine? After my first year, so I went to hotel school, which um, is also what my father did. So that's kind of like, you know, following in my father's footsteps. And I had imagined working really in hotels and doing front of house things like that. But after my first year, I was absolutely miserable and I did not enjoy anything in that section sector of the industry. Uh, and I kind of came home jobless for the summer. And so I just, in order to have something on my resume, my dad was like, well, come work in our wine store. He was just opening up a wine store as like a little side project because he is, he was and is passionate about wine. Um, and so in order to do that, I had to go work at Grand Central Wines in Grand Central Station, because that was where his business partner had a wine store, and learn about wine. And it was really basic. It was literally, this is Cabernet Sauvignon, this is Pinot Noir, this is Chardonnay, and this is Sauvignon Blanc. If you got those, you're fine. (laughs) That was the basic knowledge. Uh, And I very quickly picked up an interest in wine uh, and went back to school sophomore year and kind of switched my concentration to beverage management and took the wines class started teeing wines and really went heavier down that route still I did take a viticulture class but I was like you know rounding out my <laughs> what I thought I needed to be like I don't know eventually a master of wine which is kind of one of my goals um but really I had no not even then was I like oh yeah I should be a farmer so yeah um but then actually I when I graduated it was a really shitty time in the economy and the only job I found was as um, was working for Wolfgang Puck Catering in Hollywood at Hollywood and Highland. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. Um, like what? a couple weeks after. Sorry. No, I was just. Where, where, how how did you get to Hollywood? It was that just you found a job while you were in college I think, there? Or? Yeah, so once I, so I went to hotel school at Cornell, which is like very, in good times, they literally hand out jobs. Mm. And that was kind of like what everyone was banking on. And when I graduated in 2009, there were zero jobs. Like the job site, nothing, no options. And I just was applying for anything because, you know, I needed a job. And I found this job. It paid me $10 an hour. <laughs> um, working for Wolfgang Puck, and it was like, oh wow, you're working for Wolfgang Puck. Like that's, you know, it's going to be a big deal. You're going to move on up. And I was like, well, I'm not working in wine. It's fine, but it's a job. So I moved out to LA. I lived on Sunset and Orange, <laughs> and yeah, worked in Hollywood and Highland. And um, it was hell. It was awful. Like in every everything about it is terrible. Um, and a year to the, like literally a year to the day later, I moved back home to Connecticut. Um, 
and I took over my father's wine store, which at this point he was ready to sell, but it was not really in a condition to sell. So he's like, I need you to just kind of manage it and get it to a point that's sellable. Um, and so I, I worked there for about a year and a half and I just, you know, started switching around the wines to something that was more what I was interested in, which were um, smaller projects, family owned. I think organic was just like starting to be more accessible then. Not really much more, some, some biodynamic, but very little. And, and yeah, and that led me to another job in New York City working for a startup selling wine online. And that's when I had just like a burnout. And I was like kind of jokingly said to myself, well, the only thing left to do in the industry at this point is make the wine. Because I had worked in restaurants, I'd worked for a distributor, an importer, selling it online and... Um, and so I kind of just like was like I'm I'm done with New York City. I, I can't be here. I need to like move somewhere and just like clear my head. And so I kind of was just like, okay, I guess I'm going to Italy. Like it really was not thought of like so in detail. Um, I don't know what made me just kind of without hesitation buy a one way ticket to Rome. Um, you did you have anybody there? I mean, was that like no. No. I don't have any relatives in Italy. I know, or I thought I knew Italian before I moved here. Um, growing up in the southern part of Switzerland in the summers, it, they speak Italian. And so I was like, oh yeah, I've heard this before, you know, I got this. Um, and I had spent about six months in Rome and I was looking for um, a winery that I can intern at. And all of my connections were kind of um, proposing jobs in their laboratories. And for me, I was like, I don't really understand why I need to be making wine in a laboratory. It didn't really make sense to me. And then through random connections, I found the winery that I worked at here on Lago di Bolsena de Coste. And I came up and I was like, I'd like to work for a year and just learn a, like a full ag year and... Um, see if this is something for me. And I kind of imagined I would work there and then move back to the States. I don't move to the West Coast. So really quickly, I just want to go back mm-hmm. just for a second before we get into like where you really like started to dig into making wine. I need to know like why Rome? Like what was your thought process? Like what you have family in Switzerland, like you're in New York, you're burnt out. Like I just, I like, I need to know like why pick Rome? So it kind of was like this. It was... Um, I was like, okay, if I want to learn to make wine, it has to be either France or Italy. Like, I have to go old world. Um, I figured that's where I was going to more authentically learn to make wine. And that was the style that I liked more than new world wines. And then between France, I don't know why I was, as though those were only countries, but I was like, France or Italy? Okay, France, I don't speak a word of French. Italy, I can say, like, good morning. (laughs) You know, figured I was like, I could learn this language, maybe. Um, so that's kind of how I picked Italy. And then Rome, because my now business partner, um, had a place there and she was like, just go stay there. And from there, like, it's, cause it was a lot easier for me to travel around Italy and find a job and meet people than from being in Italy and obviously in the States. So it kind of was like my base there and I would travel through Italy and meet different wineries and make connections and do the networking thing to try and find a job. So that's why I was in Rome. Yeah. That makes sense. 
and like gelato and prosciutto. I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah. And and Italy and, and Rome. Rome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, and you know, my friend was like, "I have an apartment. Go." I was like, "Yeah, of course." Okay. Um, which was amazing. It was summer. It was really hot, but it was it was really cool. Yeah. So, yeah that's why I so I kind of like I based in Rome and then I drove around Italy and, and went to like my connections that I knew. So you were, did you start meeting people like while you were there and then that's how you were building your network? Yeah. Or what I thought was a network, but it just wasn't really, I found myself doing the same thing that I was, that I was like taught to do at school, which is like this, like really like you come dress up nicely, you network, you present yourself. This is your CV. Like that, you know, and I was just like, why am I doing exactly what I don't want to be doing? (laughs) Um, And so I was kind of hitting like a dead end with this, um, method of trying to find a place to work and that's kind of like I think I'd emailed Joe Campanelli he has, has at the time he had a few restaurants now he has one two in Brooklyn uh, he had a few in New York in, on Manhattan and he's you know you had a wine from Le Coste at my bar I had it by the glass it was a white wine like why don't you go there it's just outside of Rome and when he said it's just outside of Rome I was like great I'm gonna like you know, take the bus to Rome on the weekends, like, and hang out here in this beautiful city. It's not exactly just outside of Rome. It's outside of Rome. It's about two hours north, but, um, and I, that was kind of, like, my last hope. Like, I emailed them. I said, I'd like to come work. Can I meet you? And, like, yes, come up. So I rented a little smart car. I drove it up, almost crashed it on the dirt roads getting here. Um, I showed up in, like, shorts and flip-flops, which was, like, already more my vibe than, like, a suit, you know. And I, they walked me the entire, all the vineyards, like, around the entire thing. I think I, like, had cuts and scrapes and bug bites because I was not properly dressed. <laughs> but, um, and I just immediately fell in love with the place. Like, the lake, obviously, is so beautiful. And they were willing to let me do anything and everything, which is exactly what I wanted. So, um, so yeah, then I, I started there. So I, I moved to Rome in March of 2013 and I started working there at the end of August. Okay. August, 2013. And they're like, whatever, wherever you want to, you know, be in the vineyard and in the winery, you can just kind of do what you want to do. I um, I was more like, whatever we need you to do is what you're going to do. And (laughs) I was like, great. So, you know, and that was like, uh, I was, I really was ready to like roll up my sleeves. And I, I really did everything, like anything and everything. There was nothing below me or above me, like anywhere. And if, you know, if I got to things that were like technical, then I would ask a thousand questions on top of like, while I was like washing a bucket. Um, But yeah, it was great. I worked you know, from sunrise to midnight and did the same thing every day. On the weekends, I'd watch their kids. <laughs> were you living there on the property? <laughs> you were living there? Uh, they had a, they had a t- an apartment in the town that I was living in. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so how long were you there for? You uh, August 13th, you started. August until, so then I did, I did two harvests. And so I... I kind of stopped working there, I'd say, like, January 2015. It was about, like, a year and a few months or so. And why um, why did you stop working there? We uh, did not see eye to eye on my future. 
Oh, just fun to say, yeah. <laughs> Which just that just says enough, I think, as it is, because it's my future. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but could, uh, yeah, we can leave that yes. there. <laughs> yeah, that's basically it. Um, and I think I, I didn't imagine that happening that way. I did imagine staying there for a while, and like at this, I, so I'd say two weeks in of working there, I, I called my mom. I remember, and I was staring at the lake, and I was like, "I'm not leaving. Like, I'm I'm staying here in some capacity." Um, I didn't see myself making, like, having my own winery yet. I mean, I, you know, I was just learning <laughs> the very basics about making wine. Um, and I did hope to stay there longer. Um, but when it ended, I wasn't about to get up and leave and go find another place to do another stage. That was, like, not what I wanted to do. You know, I knew I wanted to stay here, and I just it just felt right to be here. So... I kind of like took that major leap. It was like, all right, I'm going to try and do it on my own. So then 2015 was the first harvest on my own, completely illegal in like a little cave. Um, and just to see if I could do it. So and yeah. how'd you get the grapes? I mean, where, where, where did you go? So in the meantime, I met my husband, my now husband, and um, he was so helpful because obviously having grown up here, knew everybody. So he would spend his free time driving me up and down every single dirt road in this town. And be like, here's a vineyard. Do you want to go ask this guy if he wants to give it to you? Here's another vineyard. Let's go ask this guy. And so we literally would go vineyard to vineyard, find the owner, ask him if he's still working it. Would he want to rent it to me? Could I, like, you know, take it over? And that's basically <laughs> how that went. Um, and, yeah, then I got, I got two vineyards in my first, that first year. Oh, awesome. So just to go back. So at this point, you met your husband. How did you meet your husband? Because I feel like that's, you know, a big part of your Italian story. Uh, yeah. <laughs> how, how, did you, how did you meet him? So uh, Simone had sheep. Or, well, one of his barns is right above one of the Costa's vineyards. And he used to have his lambs and his like in another piece of land that was right next to them as well so kind of wherever I was he was there singing on his tractor like being really loud and like look at me and um I was told that he was really stupid and not trustworthy yeah and he's a bad guy and he was just a shepherd like that's how he was portrayed to me and so I mean I also had no interest at the point to like meet anybody so I didn't even really think twice about it and Kind of in the same time that I was realizing that I wasn't maybe seeing eye to eye with who I was working for and shouldn't really take everything they were saying so seriously. It was the same moment that I was like, wait a minute, this guy is actually really kind and he has the sweetest eyes and I should just get to know him. Like, obviously, like, also because I had no friends. <laughs> so um, I texted him and I was like, oh no, so, well, I got his number by, he had, he had, he was able to get his sheep into the Costa's vineyards. It was like during the winter, so they were able to graze in there, and they were also lambing. So I was able to get his number, and I called him and told him this lamb looked like it was dying, which it wasn't. It was just my excuse to get to know him, to meet him. <laughs> it worked. He came running. Um, and I was, oh, no, I didn't have his number yet, but I got a word of mouth. I got him to get there. And then I was like, you know, you should give me your number in case there's another lamb that I think is dying and I can call you. And he was like, all right, sure. And so basically, uh, yeah, I invited him out for a beer. And that was kind of the end of that. We started hanging out. That, um, um, 
that might be one of the more interesting um, dating yeah. tactics I've ever heard. Like, <laughs> come quick, a lamb's dying. Like, yeah, yeah. It was just asleep. But, you know, what did I know? <laughs> All um, right. Okay. Yeah. So, good okay. moves. Sweet, sweet moves. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> you know. So, so, Simone, he was peacocking on his tractor. You fell for mm-hmm. it. And then you tricked him with the dead lamb thing. And then it was, you know, had a beer. And the rest is history there, right? Is that, is that where we're yeah, at? Yeah, we were, like, secretly, <laughs> like, hanging out. Because um, we didn't want anyone to really know. I mean... I'm sure the whole town already knew, but we thought nobody knew uh, for a while. Yeah. And then, you know, it got serious um, and it was cool. You know, we started like daydreaming about projects together and farming together and like bringing the vines and the sheep together, which was not like traditionally what would happen in farming here. Like there was a lot of um, friction between farmers you know, who had like or vegetable farmers and grape farmers and um, shepherds, like a lot of fighting over land and just like, you know, having different purpose for the land. So there was a lot of yeah friction between historically between them. So for us to be together and to bring the lambs and the sheep into the vineyards was like unheard of. So, wow. Yeah. Italian politics. Okay. So yeah. <laughs> another thing that you're not hearing, you know, like the friction of the shepherd and the the agriculture yeah. people. Okay. So yeah. is that just mean like he's looking for places to graze his lambs and people don't want them him, them there? Or is yeah, that exactly. That That's pretty much it. Um, they... I mean, there's like people, yeah, they promise them grazing periods during the year and then they say, no, actually you can't come. And there just wasn't res- mutual respect for each other. Um, and then they're also out of spite, like the shepherds would just like be like, oh, oops, like the fence broke down. My sheep got in and they just let them graze on people's land. Like, you know, like there's just no respect on either side. Um, there were just two different means of like ways of living on the land, you know, and I think what people don't realize is like, yeah, it's very romantic, but uh, for many people, farming is just a means to an end. Like, it's, there's not, yes, there is some who've realized how important the history is of their farmers, of their family being generational farmers, but for others, it's literally just a job. And if they could do anything else and they knew how to do anything else, they probably would do something else. So that kind of same attitude about like, I don't care who you are and what you're doing, don't come on my land. Instead of like being like, oh, wait, we should work together because you would be cutting my grass with your sheep grazing on them and they would be fertilizing, you know, not very much collaboration. Yeah, it, it definitely sounds like some old world wine and old world thinking, you know. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it sounds all romantic, but there's a lot of, yeah, yeah. stuck in old ways. Got it. OK, yeah. so you are, you know shaking things up you're you're you know about to bring the two worlds together he helped mm-hmm. you find some vi- some vineyards to rent mm-hmm. and buy some grapes and then you do your first vintage in 2015 which you said was like off the grid uh from mm-hmm. there what's going on so that so yeah so i did my first vintage in this little cave and um it turned out delicious we ended up drinking it next year at our wedding all of it um and 
so basically within that year, I was like, okay. So essentially, I didn't know that I, that I had a, a good wine until probably spring of the following year, right? So now we're in, in, into a new vintage, 2016, and I had to be like, am I doing this or am I not doing this? Like, and if I am, then I need to find a place where I can legally make wine. So between like that spring, and I actually finished getting it ready two days before I started harvesting, I found a small little cantina in town. It was like an underground cellar. Um, and I redid it so that it was like up to code and started making wine there. And yeah, I think I, we did, I did 3,000 bottles my first year. How did you come up with the name Lavalana? The name came about from an uncle, like a distant uncle of Simone's, who's a retired shepherd, was telling me about these, um, the story behind the shepherds and the, and the farmers in the area. And he kept referencing to, he kept referring to the farmers as Ivilani, Il Vilano. Um, and I just, I remember saying to him, like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, what's a Vilano? And he was like, oh, it's a farmer. It's one who has a hoe in the hand, like, propped on their back, like, whoever works, farm, like, vegetables and grapes and things. Um, and I was like, oh, so I'm a Vilana. And he was like, yeah, you are a Vilana. And that's kind of where it first started about. And then I kind of started doing the research onto what a Vilano is and what it actually means. And it just, fit really like perfectly okay so you have the cantina in town and you're making wine. Are you still just renting vineyards at that point and harvesting or? Yeah. So we had bought, by this point we had bought um, the farmhouse that we live in now and land um, and we started prepping it for planting it. So I had gotten a couple other old vine plots that I um, was farming for to make wine and I started planting at the same time. So the first ones we planted were the next, the following year, 2017. Okay, cool. So you have your own farm. You're planting your own vines. What did? How did you choose what you wanted to plant? I think uh, to begin, I really did want to work with local varietals, um, and not many people realize how many local clones there are of very famous varietals like Trebbiano and Sangiovese, and we also have Aleatico, which is a grape native to to this area um, and I think it was important for me to plant those things that were kind of dying out because of you know the um, conventional trends to go towards Cabernet and Merlot and Syrah and make these like Bordeaux style wines or um, so that was very obvious to me from the beginning so the first thing we planted was a hectare of white that um, was mostly Procanico, which is a clone of Trebbiano, Malvasia, and Rosetto, which are actually the three traditional grapes that you find in Montefiascone Est Est Est, um, which is a white wine. And it, that they that actually the whole area is a dock for that DOC for that white wine, um, but it comes originally from Montefiascone, which is on the other side of the lake. Um, and then I actually sprinkled in there a bunch of old varietals that I had never even heard of, but. Um, 
it was important for me to have like this unique selection to this vineyard that nobody else could ever come. What's um so what's the the soil like there? Like why is what's so special about this area? I know you you love it. It's beautiful. So uh, hundreds of thousands of years ago, there were volcanoes here. Like I can't remember now how many three or four a bunch all the way down to Rome actually, but. Um, two of them were on either side of the now, they call it a crater lake, uh, the, the lake that has formed. So we have volcanic soils. Um, along the lake, you'll see it's all black sand. Um, and so we have, a, it's very sandy and volcanic, and which means very low, like it's not fertile, fertile soils and very high drainage basically just sandy soils um black yeah. sand it's, there's nothing in it i think i have like one percent clay okay in my soils um so what that means is our grapes our grapevines have to dig really really deep to find water um and to me I want that in my vines, obviously. I don't want them sitting, like, you know, on the top soils and just being... I, I, I just pref, pref, prefer these types of soils because the wines end up being a lot more linear. Um, I don't know if, like, that means something to you. You've tasted my wines. Um, they're never going to be these round, big, fat wines that have to have some kind of like aging in, I don't know, wood to soften the tannins or something like that. They're always going to be more linear, more direct, like a sharper acidity. Um, and, and that's a lot to do with the soils. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely. Sense. I mean, these are the styles of wines that, you know, I like to drink and I feel like a, a lot of, um, people's palates are, are moving in that direction, you know, away from the mm -hmm. high alcohol, the big fruit bombs, you know, the overpowering stuff. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's important to remember that, you know, wine is really meant to be, you know, enjoyed with food and friends and family. It's not supposed to be like this meal mm -hmm. upon itself. And so yeah, yeah. I think, you know, making wines kind of just more elegant and restrained and just letting the the soil and everything kind of speak for itself and instead of exactly. which is kind of at the core of the the natural wine movement which i know is right. what you're you know all about as well uh you know how important is making natural wine to you and what does it mean to you you know when i look back on it um i don't think i really understood where i landed to learn to make wine until I was there. And I didn't realize there's this, I, I remember like when I was working in New York City before I left, I met Alice Firing. She was doing her first, I think it was like her first book or second, I can't remember now. First book actually. Um, <clears throat> and I went to her, like this book event that she had in her apartment. And I remember drinking the wines and being like, yeah, they're good, but they're really like, they're out there. Like, is what I thought. It was, like, my first time drinking natural wines, really. I, everything I had up until that point was, like, natural. Not really. Like, organic, maybe biodynamic farming, but still conventional in, this, in the wineries. Um, 
So I didn't really know about this movement. I didn't, I wasn't going out there looking for this. And so when I landed at Le Coste, it, it was a really extreme shock for me, but it made so much sense. Like, yes, obviously wine is made through all like the sweat and tears and blood in during the during the agriculture year and you basically do nothing to it in the cellar and that to me was like yes that that, that just made so much more sense and then I realized when I was there I was like wow I'm at probably one of the most influential winemakers in the natural wine movement in Italy and this is exactly what I want to be doing so kind of like I, I really just stumbled into it not knowing and it just felt right so yeah, it was it was like right time, right place for for me um, while I was just trying to find out what I find like you know my place in winemaking. Uh, so yeah, it wasn't intentional really. Uh, it just was the obvious choice though. I mean, it it that the more sense, you learn yeah. about wine, the more natural wine makes sense to me too. I mean, you know, like, right, right, especially if you're conscious about anything involving our environment and our mm-hmm. earth if you're you know tapped in at yeah. all to what is right and wrong then i feel like natural wine makes yeah. the most sense yeah exactly um i saw you mentioned in a different article em and you know that's not, i just kind of was wondering if you could like break down what that is and what that means yeah this i think it's based out of japan originally but essentially it's using bacteria good bacteria to to rebalance and clean, like a lot of it's used in cleaning actually. Um, and you can also, and I use it in the soils, but uh, they're basically like treatments that are made from yeast and back, good yeast and good bacteria. And that's just putting that back into the soils and putting it kind of training the, the environment. So your vines and your soils to like reproduce all this good stuff to make them healthy to then prevent disease and things like that. Um, it's really, it's kind of in the same way that like biodynamic is, seems like it's so microscopic what's happening that you're kind of like, what, what's happening? <laughs> um, yeah, effective microorganisms. Okay. Um, that was a total blank on my mind. Um, but it's just one of the many things that we try in our vineyards to, to just help them stay strong and fight against the extreme weather conditions that we have today um, and also like regain healthy soils that have been destroyed over years with just improper farming. Um, so yeah, it's, yeah, it's one of like, we do, we, we use that. We use um, biodynamic practices. We use algae. We use obviously manure. We're, we're essentially just trying to everything that we can possibly do to like make happy soils and therefore have happy plants. I love it. So you're, you're the, the bringing of the sheep and the wine together. It is, it's, it's working and uh, you're showing yeah. everybody wrong in this, in this town that, <laughs> that shuns the farmer. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting to see. I think a lot of people think I'm crazy not, I mean, the, the, having the sheep graze, I've understood that that's actually effective, obviously, but, um, not plowing my soils, not, you know, tilling, no, no movement of the soils. They're like, your plants are going to dry up. I'm like, nope, 
<laughs> they're not, and there's no way they, 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 they're really resistant to trying new methods, even though they're, they're seeing that like, things are changing, um, which it's a struggle because you would hope that like everybody would be a little bit more open to, to, to trying different ways to regenerate their soils, but old world, old, world. <laughs> old <laughs> minds, yeah. well, small town. <laughs> what you're doing is working and the wines are beautiful. Um, so I heard you mention earlier when you came to Rome, you're now business partner own, you know, a place there. So what role, when, when did you bring on a business partner? Have they always been there or what was that decision? So Karen is phenomenal. She's one of my friends from college actually. And we uh, reconnected at a friend's wedding shortly. I had already booked my flight to leave. Um, and she, she is, her mother is, her mother's family is from Napoli and her mother grew up in Rome. So she would, and she grew up in the States, but she would go back every summer. So she, she's half Italian. She'd spend her summers here. And after she lost both her, her grandparents and her mother, she really felt disconnected to Italy, but she wanted to re, like plant roots again, make roots here. And when I told her I was moving there and, you know, who knew what I was doing, she already was like, so we're gonna we're gonna, you're gonna open a winery and I'm gonna have a place that I get to come to like I'll invest and I was like whoa <laughs> she had already she already like knew this was happening before I did kind of thing um and when I did actually then reach out to her so, you know I actually do think I'm gonna stay and I am gonna start a winery she hopped on board immediately super supportive and um and invested in the whole project and is really the reason that I grew from 3,000 bottles to 24,000 bottles in these six years. Um, it would have happened way slower <laughs> without her. That's great. So she's helping build the business yeah. as far as like, you know, planting mm -hmm. more vines, getting it out there. Because mm -hmm. I know for a fact, I saw you like a month ago and I was tasting some of your wines and I yeah. was being told, oh, you're going to get like a couple, couple of bottles of this. So I know, I know the wine. I mean, and that's just, it's, Interesting because, you know, when I first started buying your wine several years ago, I was able to get cases of it. And now that just goes to show how much more popular natural wine is becoming because I don't think you're making less wine. It's just more people want it. I wish I had a say all the way to the end of like the, the whole line, like where my bottles go, which unfortunately I don't fully. There's like a lot of, I think, just in general in, in reselling wine, there's a lot of weird politics which I don't agree with um and I've been voicing about that because I remember I was walking towards the store and like okay so she's gonna get three bottles and I my jaw just dropped and I was like three bottles are you kidding me like I was just I mean it's true that LA gets I think I don't know three so 18 bottles but like what I don't know anyways it's yeah I'm, I'm working hard to make more wine for this reason <laughs> Um, because it's also like, you know, the hard part about as when you grow is there's a lot of demand for your wine, but it gets diffused so quickly and, um, and then you don't really know where it ends up. And so it's like, how, how do you get to like, how do you get to represent a winery when they only get three bottles? I don't know. It's kind of a... Yeah, Sad. <laughs> it's or a little bit of a working. On yeah, it. no. And I think <laughs> I think, you know, I ha I've been having these conversations a lot lately because it's not just you. I mean, 
for instance, like Gutegao, you know, I'm again, I used to get like, yeah. you know, and I've, I've been carrying their wines for, you know, like I feel like I've been carrying these wines for a long time. And then now all of a sudden, um, you know, these allocations get smaller and smaller and I get it. Like, you know, wineries want to be in more places, but I do think that there should be a little bit more of a reward for somebody who t- had taken that early risk with a producer and yeah. you know I and then I talked to my importer about it and, and specific wines and and they were like well what do you want me to do like not bring in the 18 bottles and I'm like well I get what you're saying you know like because it's kind of trickling from New York over to the west coast and it just gets less yeah. and less as, as it arrives here yeah. but you know and it and I mean, at that point, I you know, with two bottles, it's almost too much work for me to put it on in the shop. Right. I, I've started giving them yeah. away, you, you know, on like <laughs> Instagram, like here, I got two bottles. Yeah. Let's have a contest, you know, like, yeah, I, I, you know, what do I do? I mean, the, the thing is, like I when I as I grow, the rule has always been like the percentage that people have from the beginning, they get that, the amount that I grow is the amount that they get more percentage wise. Like, so I'd never taken away from an importer. So as I grow, like they're also getting more. So I think that, like you said, the hard part is like, so they start selling these wines and then they, so then I get recognized. And so then other people want these wines and maybe those are accounts that they also like feel like they should be working for. And so then they start giving those wines, but that's like not how I planned out when I gave them wine. So like, if you're one of the first people who've been buying my wine, you should, and they get more wine, you should get more wine. Like, to me, that just seems so obvious. Yeah. The, again, there's a lot of politics in wine, and it's, it's not as sexy as everybody thinks. So going back to before, and your dad obviously is in, you know, the beverage and whatever, he owned a wine shop. So did he end up selling it? He did? Yes. Yeah, we okay. sold it. Because I was yeah. wondering if he, mm-hmm. cared, if he got any allocations for his shop. <laughs> no, so he so the um, he sold it while I was there, and that's when I like, started working full time in New York for this startup. Um, and then they actually like semi retired and moved down the street from me here. In no way! So, oh my god! <laughs> yeah. So now actually, he just literally just sent me a message being like, "I found these two barrels because I have to make him wine in in barrels so that he has." They drink an insane amount of wine. Um, and my parents, and so now I have to make wine for them in their style, which is in wood, and I'm just like, I don't like it, but fine, I'll, whatever you need, I'll make it for you. So he just found some old bottles in county or barrels, and he's excited to get those down here. So I have to make some wine. Yeah, I was gonna ask, you know, does your yeah. dad like your wines? Yeah, I had this wine, um, but one of the first wines I made actually in 2015, 2015, I was looking for any vessels available in the area and someone gave me two barrels and so I made one of Sangiovese and one of Merlot and when I tasted them I was like this is garbage like <laughs> this is so bad you can taste so much of the wood they were only two years old these barrels and I was like this is not what I like and then not my style but okay so I kind of left them in these barrels until I had to like move out of this little cave that I was making wine in and then I was like crap now what am I going to do with these so then I took them I took the wine out of the barrels and I put them in a tank and I blended it and put it in a tank and then I just let it sit there and I was like all right, well, someone's going to want this or drink this. I don't know. It's not me. Like, I don't like this is so bad. And then I needed the tank. So then I bottled it. And so now it's like 2018, I think. 
or 17. And my dad tries, and I was like, I'm just going to use this to give to like the farmers. It's like a thank you or something in town. I give it away. And my dad tries. He's like, I love this wine. This is so great. Like, I love the wood notes. I'm like, of course you do. You like this. You would like this wine. And so I called it like my dad wine. And I, it was just his like endless supply until um, I had some people come from a restaurant to work harvest in, from Canada. I'm like, this is amazing with pizza. This, like another year later, and I tasted it again. I was like, oh, this is actually not so bad. Sure, it just needed like five years in the bottle or <laughs> four. And then they, they took up, they snatched it up, and <laughs> they bought it just for their restaurant. And it only went to this one restaurant. My dad was devastated. He was like, how dare you just sell off my wine? I was like, uh, all right, I'll make you some more wine. <laughs> so, now, so now I have to make him wine. Yeah, I know he does. So like, now he's sourcing barrels yeah, for you. Exactly. So I can make more dad wine. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> awesome. So um, what's next? I mean, where, where do you see yourself moving in the next, you know, five years, 10 years? Where, where, what's the tra- trajectory? Oh, I wish I really knew more specifically. But, um, you know, it, living here has its challenges in that you can't just like snap your fingers and you have a new winery built or you know so I keep having a little bit of like bumps in the road on my project to build or have a larger space the issue right now is space um in order to make more wine I need more space and so yeah we're we're working on trying to find um an old place that we can recuperate and rebuild and um recycle essentially and make into a winery that's kind of the goal and yeah continue to plant we'll definitely plant um it's i'm i feel i have to be honest like after this year my morale is a little bit low for planting just because it's a sign of the times the climate really is changing and um it's not like it's not that easy to just it seems scary and risky to to plant really um so it's kind of like thinking, what does that mean? How can we change that? Like, is there another, like, do we, we need to really think outside the box? We're not going to just plant, like, a hectare of vines. We have to figure out, like, I don't know, something else, some something more resistant to the climate change. I don't know what that is. <laughs> I won't stop making wine, and I won't, stop, I won't make less wine, that's for sure. I will try to make more wine, but... um. But yeah, um, originally it seemed really like clear, like you just plant more hectares and build a winery and then you're good to go. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're just shifting a little bit yeah. with the times. So a little bit of yeah. a question mark. It's, yeah, it's, 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 this is something that keeps coming up and up. It, mm-hmm. It's a real, it's a real thing. You know I mean? California, we have the fires, yeah. and, you know, the heat, the drought, the, all of it. It's, 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 it's really happening. Um, I know a lot of winemakers are turning to alternatives to grapes. I mean, is that something that you've thought about? Uh, um, different fruits? I have a little bit there in maybe fruits that would really interest me are not really fruits that grow well here, like apples or like some of the, I, I like the cooler climate stuff, but um, I don't know. Maybe we'll make beer, <laughs> just grow grains. I think like in, you know, a lot of what I keep reminding myself is like at the end of the day, I need to do what 
I need to provide for my family, but do also like what makes me happy and excited because that's what's the most fun to share with everybody. So um, right now it's like, okay, hold on. Like, how can we diversify and what are other things that projects we like we would want to do? One of those is grains to like, you know, have our own flour, but mostly because I selfishly just want to have my own flour to make bread and, or like, you know, get a, we're getting a cow so I can have my own milk and therefore have more manure that I can put in my vine. So it's like, I needed like for a second to just peel it back a bit and slow down, take out my like way American style of just like plowing forward and just be like, okay, like you need to also enjoy your life. Because if I start to really think about like the long like trajectory of what's going to happen, it's kind of, yeah, it's overwhelming because we don't really know. So yeah. Well, uh, you can taste the joy uh, mm. in your wines, double meaning there. Uh, but, mm. you know, you really can taste the excitement in your wines. And that's what I think makes them special and why everybody wants them. And um, I know that you are getting ready for harvest like today. So I don't want to take yeah. up too much more of your time. Um, but yeah, this is the craziest time for a winemaker. So uh, thank you for taking some time for of us course, to talk. I really, really appreciate nice. it. It was really lovely. Thank you for listening to this episode of Winesplaining. Be sure to check out more episodes available wherever you love to listen. And feel free to subscribe and review if you dig these women's stories. You can also check us out and learn more and get the haps at our website, winesplainingpodcast.com and social media handles, Winesplaining Podcast. And if you want to taste these wines with a story, head over to vinovore.com. You can shop online for pickup, shipping, or delivery, or of course, in person at any of our locations. Mm-hmm.